And indeed, what a Savior we do have. Probably no one in all of Christian history was a more passionate and greater lover of the Savior than the gifted 19th century pastor, Charles Spurgeon. He loved the Savior very, very deeply. And he one time said this, he said, Ah, Lord Jesus, I never knew your love till I understood the meaning of your death. And I would have to say that's certainly been true in my life. I was the typical kid growing up in a church very much like Bethel. I goofed around. I didn't take much seriously at times. I was a real grief to my teachers. And then as the Lord Jesus worked in my life when I was uh, as a teenager, He just reached down and saved me. I have no other explanation other than the fact that He just grabbed a hold of me and made me His own. And I was instantly more serious. I began to love the Lord Jesus Christ like I had never loved Him before. As a teenager and then a young man in my 20s, the services that had the most profound effect on me were Good Friday services. As I would listen to what Jesus had done for me, I was deeply moved, sometimes to tears. And as I would leave those services, I loved Jesus more, and I wanted to live for Him more. It was the meaning of His death for me that taught me in the greatest way about the love of God. Now today, we are coming to the death of Christ crucified. And as we come to this very sacred heart of our God's Word in the Scriptures, the thing that we're going to notice as we look at the account are the phenomenon that are recorded. And we might pass over the phenomenon as we are looking at Jesus and His death for us, But in the phenomenon is a very, very important lesson. And we could state it something like this. At the crucifixion, the unusual phenomenon that happened interpret the meaning of Jesus' death. And so if we want to know what did Jesus accomplish in His death, it is these phenomena that occurred surrounding the cross that teach us the heart of it. Let's open our Bibles again to Mark chapter 15. And this morning we're going to be looking together starting at verse 33. And I'd like you to bow with me in prayer and let's seek the Lord together. Lord Jesus, nothing speaks to our heart more deeply than your death for us on the cross. And we know this is the greatest demonstration of the love of God. While it doesn't solve for us all the questions we have about the things we endure in this world, it does solve the issue of is there a mighty, powerful God who loves us deeply and dearly? And the answer to that is found in the cross. Today, help us to see what Jesus accomplished, what His death means that we might love Him more and serve Him better. In Jesus' name, Amen. Look with me, if you would, at verse 33. And the Bible says, 
And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Now the first phenomenon we see surrounding Jesus' death is that darkness came over the whole land. And what this teaches us as believers in Christ is our own darkness is now past. Verse 33 tells us that at noon, at the sixth hour of the day, by Jewish time, darkness covered the whole land. Now some suggest that this was an eclipse, but solar eclipses do not last for three hours in one place, do they? We learned that last summer as we watched the Umbra go across the United States in the solar eclipse. So clearly, this was not that. It was a miracle that conveyed a message. In the Bible, miracles are always signs that point away from themselves to a message that God has. Darkness was a sign of God's judgment on human sin. Now, any Jew that was sensitive to their own history understood this. We know that Jesus died on Passover. The very first Passover in the Old Testament was preceded by ten plagues. You may remember that the ninth plague was darkness over the land of Egypt for three days. The next plague, the tenth plague, was the death of the firstborn son in Egypt on the night of the Passover. So the darkness of the ninth plague was a forewarning to the Egyptians of the death of the tenth plague, and the death of the firstborn son was God's judgment on Egypt for Pharaoh's sin. Now think about this. Just as the darkness preceded the death of the firstborn in Egypt for their sin, So now darkness preceded the death of God's firstborn for the sin of the world. In one of our great hymns, we sing these words, Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when God the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. That's what the darkness was symbolizing. You know, darkness is a very good symbol for judgment because it is the symbol for sin. The Bible says about God in 1 John 1.5, God is light and in Him there is no darkness. And think about what sin does for us. It darkens the soul. It darkens the understanding. It darkens our awareness of right and wrong. It darkens our understanding of God Himself. When I think back in my life to the darkest room that I was ever in, it was the old gymnasium at the high school where I graduated from. It was so dark in that gymnasium when the lights were off 
that you literally could not see a person standing right next to you. We call that pitch black darkness, don't we? Pitch black darkness. And just as in that old gym, the darkness of sin alienates us from God and it alienates us from one another. That's why darkness is the perfect symbol for the judgment of God on sin. Did you know that three times in the Bible, hell is called the place of outer darkness? It is called that because the place of ultimate judgment is the place of ultimate darkness. Now on the cross, as we see here in Mark 15, Jesus experienced darkness in two very, very foreboding ways. Number one, He experienced the darkness of total separation from God. And number two, He experienced the darkness of total isolation of aloneness. Here's what would normally happen. In agony, victims of crucifixion would punctuate their suffering with raging, with pleading, with cursing at those who were below watching their suffering. But the Bible tells us here in the ninth hour, verse 34, Jesus interrupted His crucifixion with a different kind of agony. He cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means in Aramaic, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This cry is an echo of Psalm 22.1. And there the full verse of Psalm 22.1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. This is what is known as a lament psalm. And David, in whatever circumstances he was in, was expressing his feeling of abandonment by God. Now Jesus, the greater David, the ancestor and descendant of David, takes this psalm upon his lips and he expresses the abandonment he feels by God as he is on the cross. Listen to the words of Pastor John Calvin as he explains this. Jesus expressed this horror of great darkness, this God-forsakenness, by quoting the only verse of Scripture which which actually described it and which He had perfectly fulfilled. All of us know that Jesus experienced Everything that life has to throw at us. Temptations. Trials. The failure of friends. The opposition of enemies. Unbelievable physical pain. Every experience of suffering Jesus had experienced except one. He had never known the alienation of sin until now. 
Up to this moment, Jesus had never known personally what it was like to be a sinner. Now we have to be very, very careful here. Jesus did not become a sinner at this moment. For had He become a sinner, He would have no longer been the sinless Son of God who could have died for us. So He did not become a sinner, but at this very moment, He was treated like one. He was judged like one. And as He bore the wrath of God upon our sin, the Father turned from Him in judgment. How forsaken did Jesus feel? This is the only time recorded in the Gospels that when Jesus prayed, He did not use the word Father. Every time Jesus prayed, He would pray Abba, which means Father. It expressed His intimacy that He had between Him and the first person of the Godhead. But now as He is bearing the sin of the world and being judged by His Father, for the very first time, He uses only the generic word for God, my God, my God, and He expresses this forsakenness, this alienation, this abandonment. And then as we look, We see it included the total isolation of aloneness. When he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, those are Aramaic words. And the word Eloi in Aramaic sounds like an abbreviation for Elijah. There was a Jewish legend that Elijah came in times of distress to deliver righteous sufferers. And so, when we are told here in verse 36 that someone ran and gave Jesus to drink some sour wine and refresh him, what that was was a taunt. What they were saying is, will Elijah come? If Jesus is who he says he is, Elijah should come and should rescue him. But Elijah didn't come, did he? Elijah didn't come. And there was no answer from the Father either. Do you remember in the garden, as Jesus prepared for this very moment, He sweat great drops of blood in intensity as He prepared for this moment. The Bible says that when he was finished in the garden, an angel came to strengthen him as he was preparing for the cross. But I want you to think about this. While he was on the cross, no angel came. There was no answer from the Father. Only the darkness of aloneness. It's very interesting in the Old Testament in Isaiah 59 and verse 2. There is a verse that I think describes the alienation and darkness that sin brings like none other. 
Isaiah 59.2. Would you read it with me? It is rather your iniquities that have separated you from your God. It is your sins that have made Him hide His face from you so that He does not hear you. What are the wages of sin? Well, they are all right here. Separation from God. His face hidden from us, alienation and forsakenness. He does not hear. We live in God's world that He has created, but we live in that world alone without God because of the alienation of sin. But now think about this. Jesus Christ on the cross bore all of this for us that we might be alone and forsaken no more. And when the darkness descended, For three hours that day, it was telling us what Christ accomplished means our darkness is past. Let's continue on. Look with me, if you would, at verses 37 and 38. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed His last The Gospel of Matthew tells us that at this very moment there was an earthquake. And then we read in verse 38, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Please learn this lesson this morning. The second phenomenon is the curtain was torn in two. And that teaches us our barrier is removed. Now Jesus' loud cry before He died showed He did not die a normal death. Normally what would happen to victims of crucifixion is they would suffer extreme exhaustion for several days and then ultimately they would lapse into a coma. But what does the Bible tell us about Jesus? He was conscious to the very end. And then voluntarily, he offered up his spirit to God. What this tells us is that Jesus was not the first martyr. He was not put to death unwillingly. But he was a sin offering. He offered himself voluntarily, consciously, in total control of his faculties to the Lord as our sin offering. And when he uttered that loud cry and breathed his last, we are told that curtain in the Holy of Holies that was the barrier to the presence of God was torn from top to bottom. Let's take a moment, shall we, to enter into the full meaning of this. Listen to this description and watch as we learn this morning. In the ancient Jewish temple, a large veil blocked access to the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelled. It was a constant reminder that sin separated us from God. 
nobody was allowed in except for the high priest and then only once a year on the day of atonement the high priest would pass through the veil to offer a sacrifice for the sins of Israel this continued for generations because the sacrifice could never be good enough fortunately it was just a foreshadowing of what was to come 2,000 years ago something changed a new sacrifice was offered a perfect sacrifice one final sacrifice for all of time Jesus Christ laid down his life for us he paid the ultimate price so that the sins of all men could be forgiven at the moment of his death the large veil in the temple the very thing that represented centuries of separation from God was torn torn in two from the top down showing that this era of separation was over with his own blood not the blood of goats and calves he entered the Holy of Holies once and for all time and secured our redemption forever And all of God's people said, Amen. Now as we look at this together, there are two questions we have to ask about this tearing of the veil. Because what we have just seen explains what occurred. The first question is this. What was the loud cry Jesus uttered that led to this tearing? Verse 37 says, And he uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. We have to go to the Gospel of John for the answer. In the Gospel of John, the loud cry in chapter 19, verse 30 is, It is finished. It is one word in the Greek language, tetelestai. And it is a word that means paid in full. And so when the last sin was paid for by Christ on the cross, he cried to Telestai. Interesting, in John 19.30, that word is in the perfect tense. And so it literally has this meaning. It has been and will forever be finished. That's what Jesus was crying when he said, it is finished, it has been, and it will forever be finished. And when it is finished, the veil must come down. The second question we have to ask, how do we know that God tore the veil in two? And as we look very, very closely at verse 38, there are two answers that are given to us. Did you notice it says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That's a passive. Not the curtain in the temple tore in two, but it was torn in two. Not torn of itself, but torn by somebody else. 
And then you will notice it says, it was torn from the top to the bottom. That somebody else who clearly tore that veil in two was the unseen hands of God reaching down from heaven, grabbing that veil and ripping it apart. I love the verses that were quoted in that video that we just watched. Hebrews 9.12 Read them with me. Join me. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but He entered the most holy place once for all by His own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. When I looked up the word tetelestai in Strong's Greek Dictionary, there was an additional note. Let me read that additional note for you. Christ satisfied God's justice by dying to pay for the sins of all. These sins can never be punished again since that would violate God's justice. Sins can only be punished once, either by a substitute or by yourself. And when sins were punished once for all by our substitute, the barrier to God must come down. Let's continue on. Notice verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now we expect these women to be believers in Jesus. They had followed him for three and a half years. But the unusual phenomenon we do not expect is this centurion. He's the third phenomenon in the story. And this is what we learn. When the centurion saw in this way, he breathed his last, his eyes were opened, and our eyes are opened as well. Who was the centurion? Well, he was the Roman officer in charge of the execution. He was also in charge of guarding Jesus. So he had seen everything that happened. He had seen the scourging, the beating, the nailing. He had seen the words of forgiveness and heard them that Jesus uttered from the cross. When he saw this earthquake and he heard Jesus' triumphant death, his cry of victory, his total control, it is finished, he knew that Jesus was no ordinary man. He knew he must be divine. And he said in verse 39, truly, this man was the Son of God. 
Like Pilate, who had put over Jesus' head these words, this is the king of the Jews, clearly writing more than he knew, this soldier affirmed more than he knew. One of the amazing things as we read through the crucifixion scene is it's Jesus' enemies, the very ones opposed to him, who say the truth about him, though it is far more than they knew. And we know it is true that he was and is the Son of God. Do you know what I learned from this? I learned that the cross is a revelation. When it says in verse 39, the centurion saw that in this way he breathed his last, it's interesting, the word saw sometimes is a figure of speech. And it can mean this, to become aware of something through sensitivity, to feel, to actually discover. This centurion discovered more than he saw, he perceived, he learned. And though he said more than he truly understood, he began to see through the cross something he had not seen before. You know what this tells me? The cross of Jesus Christ is a revelation. Remember what Jesus said? If I be lifted up, I will draw all people to me. The cross has a drawing power that draws people to Jesus. Ah, Lord Jesus, I never knew your love until I understood the meaning of your death. And it's in the cross that our eyes are opened the greatest to Jesus, the Son of God, Savior and lover of our souls. There's a man whom you know quite well. When I put his picture on the screen, you are going to immediately recognize him. You probably have never seen him with a large black Bible in his hand. And you probably didn't realize that he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ in the city of Houston on a regular basis. Let me put up for you this morning the picture that you all know well of George Foreman. You know him as a champion heavyweight boxer. Probably most of us have one of his grills in our home. But did you know he's a Christian? And did you know how he became a Christian? In one of his title fights in which he lost, he sat in his dressing room, dejected and beaten. And this is what he said. I felt my head, and when I brought my hands down, I saw there was blood on the palms of both hands. 
Then I looked down and saw there was blood on my feet. I was reminded there was where Jesus bled. On His palms, on His feet, on His head. At that moment, I died. I died for God. Then I got life as a new creature. I became like a small trusting baby. I had never read the Bible before. Now I read it all the time. I understand it. I want to explain it to other people so that they, like me, can know the truth. How did we begin this message? Ah, Lord Jesus, I never knew Your love until I understood the meaning of Your death. And it saved a man like George Foreman. It saved me. It saved you. And it is the greatest motivation to love and live for Jesus that we know. Let's bow together, shall we? Close your eyes and bow your heads. Have you seen the meaning of what Jesus did for you? That when the darkness descended, it meant on the cross He was forsaken of God and died alone in isolation so that your darkness might be passed. The temple that separated people from the very presence of God for hundreds of years. Now that veil was rent in two that your barrier to God might be removed. And when He died in the way that He did, the cross opens our eyes. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior. The lover of your soul. If you have not come to Him in repentance and faith, nothing else will bring you. No eloquence of mine could bring you to bow before the Savior who loved you and gave Himself for you like the meaning of His death. And today, if you're unsure of where you stand with Him, you can trust Him now. You can say something like this, Lord Jesus, I, I know I'm a sinner, I'm undone. 
I'm separated from you. Your face is hidden from me. You do not hear me. But I believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and He came and died for me. And He bore my darkness and my alienation. You can say, Lord Jesus, right now I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own way. And I'm turning to You. Savior, come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Give to me eternal life. Make me a child of God. And now from this day forward, Lord Jesus, knowing You have come to live within me and walk beside me, though I will not walk this life perfectly, I will walk with a new motivation and desire to live for You because You loved me and You gave Yourself for me. Thank You, Lord Jesus, you may say, for saving me. Father, I pray for others here today who may need a renewal of their dedication to Christ. I know nothing to break down the heart of a prodigal like the love of Jesus. I know nothing to soften resistance, stubbornness, and waywardness like the tenderness of Christ on the cross. And I pray for any today who maybe in this new year are on their way back to God, perhaps for a long time have been in the far country. May the deep, abiding, eternal love of Christ for them break down all of their resistance and bring them humbly back to walking with Him. Oh God, today, we love our Savior. We thank You for His great work on our behalf. And we give ourselves afresh to Him because He paid it all for us. It's in His name that we pray. With great thanksgiving. Amen. I love this final song that we are closing with this morning. And our praise team is coming to lead us in it. It may be a while since we have sung this song, but I'm sure that you will pick it up as we begin to sing to the Lord. And I want you to know that I believe that you're not here by accident. I believe you're here by divine appointment. And I believe that God is speaking to you through His Word and what our Savior has done for you. And so if there's any way that we can encourage you, we can come alongside of you, help you in your walk with the Savior, that's why we're here. Let's stand together, shall we?
and let's sing as we close. As we get to that final chorus, we will be dismissed for today. God bless you. Let's sing together. Thank you.